folks. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. We are squarely in February at this point, so I hope you all are excited that for those of you in the northernish hemisphere, like, I don't know where, how far we are into winter, but I'm just like counting the days, honestly, let's be honest. So um, meanwhile, while we're counting the days, we can look at what is coming ahead on this show. For our inbox, we're going to answer the question, what are some practical and helpful ways for dating couples to study the Bible and or do devotions together before engagement? I know this can be a sticky subject. So our counselor, Glenn Lutchens, is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, we are entering into an election season uh, in addition to all the other cultural things that are going on. So how can you read the news or watch the news with discernment? Well, our friends Gary Schneeberger and Paul Batura, both of whom are news junkies, uh, they have a background in this and they are going to give you some helpful ideas. Now here we are for our roundtable. And speaking of helpful ideas, today we will be talking about helping your married friends set you up. Now, some of you may be thinking about this and saying, like, I don't want my married friends to set me up. Okay, well, we're going to talk about that, too. So because you know, if you've listened to Boundless for a while, I'm a big fan of being willing to be set up because I'm like, uh, y'all, Indians have done this forever. Jewish people have done this forever. The Mormon church is rocking this. People are setting people up. And it's like, we need to be open to this and not be all weird, okay? So instead of going on all your dating apps, which we talk about those two on the show, um, I want us to be open-minded about the setup, but we have to do it well, because you know I've talked about my mom and how she did it very inappropriately with me, and I had to fire her from my dating team, and so there is that as well. So fortunately, we have our own Brie Sharon here. Brie, good to see you. Hello, hello. All right, we have Tommy Glazier back. Tommy. Great to have you. Thank you for having me. Very good. Very good. And Josh Zaychik is back as well. Hey, Josh. It's always good to be here. It's always fun to have you. So these are all returnees. That's good. So, um, all right. Well, let's jump right into this because I want to start out by asking what is your view of setups and maybe even give a little experience of being set up or setting others up? Like, where do you fall on this continuum? You know, how, how have you experienced this topic? Hot take, Lisa. Go ahead, Josh. Um, I actually <laughs> we know you have opinions. <laughs> I actually set Tommy up, so I kind of want to hear his opinions on okay. <laughs> what it was like to be set up by me. Oh, he's going to give them. Yeah. He's going to give them today. That's great. Yeah. Um, as Josh said, he did set me up. Um, and uh, so far, it's working pretty well. Um, <laughs> before that, I would say I wasn't as big a fan. I would say if I prefer setting up or being set up, I would definitely err on the side of setting up. Having that kind of control, kind of fun, playful, being, you know, in that position of being the setter upper, if you will. Okay, with uh, friends and others? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, well, was, it goes both ways, though, Tom. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it was um, easier for me, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so it did take a lot of uh, a lot of trust and, and, and faith in that. But um, I love Josh. He's been a mentor to me for a very long time. Huge blessing in my life. And, um, yeah, who you sent me up with. Uh, was very attractive and uh, someone that I enjoy spending a lot of time with. So And loves the Lord. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank important. you for adding that, Josh. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, Bree, how about you? Well, I think everybody should be up for setups, primarily because of the popularity of dating apps. 
What's nice about a setup is that somebody might have already vetted them for you. Mm -hmm. I have actually set up somebody that I didn't know very well with somebody else that I did know very well just to try it out. But (laughs) in general, most of the time when I'm trying to facilitate a setup, I know that person, I know the other person, and I'm trying to help them make a connection. So I think that it's more beneficial than dating apps because of that reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Josh, anything else to add? Uh, Yeah, I I mean, I think basically when I'm thinking about setting somebody up, I I, I really want to know the people. And I've been very clear with some of the young ladies in our young adult group. Um, yeah, not not a good option when you, when you a name gets dropped. I'm like, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. And and I don't necessarily try to throw people under the bus, but I'll say, yeah, I don't think that's the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. Um, at other times, uh, there's a little convincing going on there, right? And I'm and I've had to do that. And I I said, no, I know this person's character, and that's usually what I'm aiming for. Is just are is this a good fit on the character side? Mm-hmm. But that's good. Now, were you ever set up as a single dude? Funny enough, this is a funny story. Uh, my mother-in-law set, tried to set me up with another young lady, not my wife. Oh, okay. And there might be something in that. That's a little concerning. Well, okay. this was yeah before before <laughs> my wife and I were dating. Okay. Um, my mother-in-law set me up, and uh, same thing. She was interested in character. She knew me. She knew this other gal. So we started going out, and. Um, we, yeah, we hung out, did some one-on-ones, took her out to meals, saw some movies, played games, whatever. And then, uh, you know, this had gone on for a couple of months and I got to the point where I thought, you know, it's time to make this official. So I, I take her out for coffee and, uh, and I said, her name was Amy. I won't say a last name. And, uh, and I said, Amy, <laughs> you, we've been having a really good time for the last couple months. I would love to like make this official, uh, and start dating you. And she goes, What? And I said, well, we've been going out for like two months. And she's like, what? Had no clue that we had all this one-on-one time was actually us dating in my mind and just two Christians hanging out. So I laughed. I laughed because I didn't know what else to do really. And I just said, hey, fun fact, you might want to perceive a guy spending one-on-one time with you as dating in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So we laughed that off and moved on. And then then I met my wife. Oh, my word. That just sounds like something else was there. That was really weird. Okay. Okay. But yes, I have been set up to, yeah. okay. at least in my mind. Okay. <laughs> and as I said, you know, at the open, I'm a big fan of setups. My argument is who better to, you know, how how better to get a match than by being matched, you know, by the people who know and love you best. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think that makes a lot of sense. I think it cuts out a lot of the clutter to Bree's point. It's mm-hmm. like these people actually care about you. They most likely know you. So it just... Um, I think can be really helpful. Although I think it is when I think of people who don't like the idea of setups, for some reason, I think it's there's a lot of the same argument as people who won't do online dating. Like they feel like it's artificial or they feel like it adds another measure of like, what, can I get my own dates? Or this seems like you're going to tell me who to date or whatever. And so I guess I understand that as well. But I think it's something that people maybe need to work through on that front. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think people, they want it to be more organic. They want it to be natural. But at the same time, I find people who are like, yeah, set me up. I'm open to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I've seen, you just see both ways. People think about life differently. And I'm sure you've seen that too. And And I've had some where I'm just really try to help people think about, and this wasn't my own mentality in college, but I try to say this often, coffee is not a 10-year plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just get to know somebody. Well, I don't know them. Well, if you actually go out and get to know them, (laughs) 
you'll get to know them. So, okay. yeah. So to that point, that makes me want to ask Tommy, how did your setup go? What was, give us the mechanics of how this worked out. Yeah. How uh, did Josh approach you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think Josh's style um, is uh, very repetitive a little bit. <laughs> um, I prefer direct, but that's fine. <laughs> direct that and well. repetitive. Yeah. Um, I think he, he mentioned this person to me um, uh, through texting initially. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what you didn't know is that I was actually talking to her while I was texting. She told me that afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so then um, it got to the point where almost every time I saw him, it was, how's it going? Anything new in your life? Hmm. Eventually it got to the point. I've shared this before. I'm a, really a huge wuss when it comes to comes to this kind of thing. And so um, he actually dropped that line that he was just sharing. Coffee is not a 10-year mm-hmm. plan. And so... He's making a sign out of it. I yeah. I had been uh, talking to her for a while, you know, a couple couple weeks. Eventually, um, just, I think it was a Friday, went and just kind of, you know, asked, hey, you know, is this something you'd be open to? And uh, eventually, it, it kind of through more, you know, hangouts and, and going out, it, it worked really well. And uh, I do think... To I it had that had to come from somebody that I trusted, yeah. like that okay. confidence to approach someone and ask, "Hey, would you be open to, you know, grabbing a cup of coffee, you yeah. know, going out one on one?" And so, um, I was very blessed to trust Josh, um, and then also, you know, just um, I prayed a lot about it as well. Mm-hmm. And like Josh said, he does love the Lord, so I was okay. very blessed. So to that end, Josh, from your perspective, I'm assuming since she was there while you were texting him, you had already worked that angle and you were like, have you considered Tommy? Like, would you be willing to be set up? Yeah. And the funny thing was um, she hadn't. She she wasn't open to it initially either. And my wife and I were together uh, with the young lady. And so we were, were talking through this and we're like, Every every objection she brought up, we just were like, actually, I don't think you know him well enough to make that objection. Mm-hmm. I think he's a great guy. I think he loves the Lord. And her impression was just, he's a fun guy. Mm-hmm. But how serious of, about the Lord is he? And I'm like, actually, I know him really well, and I can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't say, I could tell you he's more serious than you are. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, that's, I maybe would have said that just for fun. I'm just saying. Okay. No, we did not. We okay. did not say that. But no, we. Uh, I, I think from my perspective, I... I, I want to know somebody well enough to truly be able to vouch for them. Mm-hmm. And that that's what m- matters to my wife and I. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, do you think where, okay, do you feel like that could ever tread into the, because I know there are different opinions on this, of getting assurance from each party before a setup, you know, where it's like, if you ask her out, I know she'll say yes because I've already vetted it, and then it takes some of the risk and reward out of it. I don't know. I'm just – Well, I would say I violated on. my own rule in this particular situation okay. because I only usually encourage the guy. Okay. I will I will give advice to a girl about a prospect she's interested in. Okay. But I won't – I mean, what value is it really in our culture to like tell a girl, hey, you should – Think about this guy. Consider this guy, in my opinion. Yeah. Because at least in my camp, in our sphere, in our local church, like guys are the ones taking the initiatives, not Mm -hmm. the gals. And so I don't usually encourage a girl to go out on a date. I'll just say, oh, so-and-so asked me out if she says that. And and my wife and I will speak into that. But we won't – I don't usually drop a name in front of a girl. I'll drop a name in front of a guy. Okay. Interesting. See, I told both parties. I said like – or it was like, hey – 
I have this person in mind for you. Would you be open to being set up mm-hmm. on a blind date? Because for this one, I wanted to, I was like, I don't want you guys to stalk each other. I just want you to like show up because I don't want you to have any judgments beforehand. Mm-hmm. You're like um, a master puppeteer. Like this is a real <laughs> but, thing. <laughs> but I asked both parties and they were like, yeah, I'm up for that. Um, but that was something that I like in your story with Tommy, what I noticed is that from the perspective of the married people, I think if you are wanting to set up your single friends, there is some element of being forward that needs to happen for the married person. Because honestly, I have approached like guys and be like, hey, I have a really awesome girlfriend that I'd love for you to meet. But that's me being forward and being like, hey, I want to set you up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Would you consider yeah. this? And I think that, I mean, Josh, it sounds like you are... You're very forward to and direct of like, hey. That, that could be said about me. Yes. <laughs> we should make okay. this happen. Well, so what about, okay, to that point, because you, you know, Josh, your example was very direct and very specific. And Bree, I'd love to hear about maybe some of your setups. Um, but with that in mind, also, I would love people to comment on what about the non-specific group setup? Because I've actually found those mm. to be a little bit helpful as well. Like where a married couple that I know has invited maybe four or five of us single adults over, knowing that they feel like a fit would be good between several of them and then just kind of let it play out. What has not worked for me in the past is I'm going to invite you and, you know, Dan over. You both know that we are going to do a full court press on setting you up over dinner right now. And so just get the questions in your head ready because you're going to be on. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> that is yeah, so that's exhausting not and the so way. terrifying. Yeah. So I would say, you know, as we're entering into a little council for married people, maybe not that because that especially when it's someone you don't know at all. I don't even know if that's worse or if you know the person and you're like, um, we've known each other for five years and you never asked me out. How's a dinner going to make a difference? But anyway, Bree, what about you? Like your experience in it? Yeah. Well, so far I've had one very extreme success where they are married now Mm -hmm. and I've had several failures. So um, (laughs) I would say group dates are really awesome. A lot of what my husband and I do is we invite people over for game nights, like Mm -hmm. board game nights. And that's really helpful too, because sometimes when you can like see the competitive side of people, you can like, you just see a little bit more of their character than Mm -hmm. maybe you would see at like a coffee hangout or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But the two that are my friends that we set up that are married now, uh, it took about two years to fully convince them. Like, we would keep doing these things. We would even do just like my husband and me. And then those two, when they were single, we were like, we are going to make this happen Mm -hmm. because we so fully believed in it. And they are married now and they have a beautiful little girl. So success to us. Don't Mm -hmm. worry. And wasn't like super forceful. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of the other setups that I've done, like I said, I tried to do a blind date one where I was like, hey, I just want you guys to try this. And I don't want to put any pressure on this. I want you to go into it with, if you get nothing out of this but a potential friend, that is a success to me. Like, Mm -hmm. if it works out, that's cool. And if it doesn't, that's cool too. There's no pressure here. I just want you to meet these cool people that I'm meeting. And I think, you know, I don't know how the Lord works, but I know that he has all the power here. It's not me at all. So if I can just give you guys a chance to explore it yourselves, you'll be able to figure it out. Mm And I'm trying to think of, I don't know, there's still a couple that I'm like working on, but I'm trying to figure out like I need a little bit more information. Like you said, like you really want to know the people well. And I'm like, I don't even know if this person is single, but I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just so yeah. Hopefully you will find that out at some point yes, before yeah. the setup it, happens. It'd be, a great, it'd be a great setup if I, I, think, could, if I, I can make it happen. One thing you said, though, that sticks out to me, Brie, is that you want to know 
you want to have a thumb on the pulse of the person you're setting up or people you're setting up. Like, are they even interested in that? Because I think just to like blow past somebody's preferences on that is just to be unloving. My, My goal would be that you would be connecting two people who love the Lord, who will stir each other up to love and good deeds in the Lord. Like, that's the goal for me. Now, yep. that's the end goal to a degree. But like, Tommy, I didn't say like, see you later after you went on a first day. Like, I stay in your <laughs> life. We're part, we're friends. We, mm-hmm. you know, y- your your girlfriend is hanging out with my wife. Like, there's more ongoing relationship. It isn't just a, here you go and see you later. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's something to know where's that person at so that you're loving them well. Absolutely, yeah. I would say it would also be super helpful, maybe this goes without saying, but I feel like it needs to be said, that you're assuming that if this relationship is close enough, these are true friends of yours, or you're in a mentory relationship, that you're speaking into this person's life on other levels as well. So that you're not, you know, the other person's not blindsided of like, you know, if if this person, let's just say Tommy, maybe needs growth in some area, you know, you're willing to share that as well. And like this might up your chances or help you in relating to women or whatever, so that there's growth all around. And well, I mean, quite frankly, that probably should go both ways, but you know, in some, (laughs) some circumstances with friendship, but, um, but I think that is so good because I think that person who's willing to grow in general is going to be more receptive to being open to new experiences and and finding people and and all that. I had a um, recent setup so I've been set up many times, and most of them have gone really well. And I think it is because of friends knowing me, and um, and some of them, even like long distance ones. Like I was traveling for work, and it was like some friend from the past, and they're like, "Can you come in a little early and do dinner with my friend? I think that'd be great." And so it's super, super great. I even had recently. Our dear friend of the Boundless Show, Gary Thomas, set me up with a friend of uh, that he knew or a guy that he knew from his church. And I was so, like, honored, first of all, that he would even want to set me up. Secondly, that he picked a legit guy. <laughs> we went out. It was totally fine. You know, again, it's like whether or not it goes anywhere or whatever. But it was just, I remember circling back with him and just being like, Gary, that was so kind of you to like think mm-hmm. of me and to be, and it was so cute because he had texted me and he's like giving this guy's qualifications, you know, like I'm going to have a checklist or something, which, you know, hey, sometimes I have a checklist. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, I just thought the kindness element of that. And so speaking to those of you who are listening and are single, think about that as well of like, these married people have other things going on in their lives. And it is really a kindness to you for them to care about you enough to want to speak into that. So, um, all right. So let's talk a little bit and you guys can talk from both sides of this issue. What are maybe some do's and don'ts from either side of this, of how to make this successful? Like things that are good to try, not good to try. And even, you know, marrieds, like, ideas for for singles in maybe mm. showing up and and being part of this making you look successful in your uh, pursuit as a matchmaker <laughs> i mean should we all watch uh, fiddler on the roof before doing this i don't know no i can't i've only watched it once i can't watch it again please people but what do you guys think well i think a, a do not that you've mentioned before is don't just set somebody up because they are breathing oh yeah and yeah maybe love jesus like yeah and they're female it's, and the other yeah. person's male. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's not a good enough reason. Yeah. Um, but I do think one core thing that is so crucial when you're setting somebody up is that the two people that you're setting up have the same core values or the same beliefs. Like 
we know, like in scripture, it says that we shouldn't be unequally yoked. And so it it would be beneficial to all parties if you're setting up believers with believers. Yeah, totally it matters. totally matters. Yeah, I would agree. I think one of the biggest things that I, you know, look for would be it's like, yes, you're a believer, but are you active in your in your yeah. walk with the Lord? You know, it's like it's very easy to say the right things. Um, and then even do maybe a few things that suggest that, you know, and I'm not here to, you know, you're saved, you're not, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it is like the more you get to know somebody, um, like we said already, it does become clear if they actually do love the Lord and are, you know, they want to grow. Um, that's a huge qualification. I think, you know, it's like, it shows humility that you are surrounding yourself with more people in your life, you know, wiser than you who are maybe on a different stage of life than you who can help you grow in that. Um, that's one of the biggest things that I look for. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, I'd say don't blindside people. Um, I mean, like if if you're coming at somebody and saying, hey, I think this is a great individual and why don't you come on over uh, for dinner and you don't tell the other individual what what's going to happen, like mm-hmm. that just feels wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but one some of the things I would say definitely to do is um, know people well. Don't just size them up because they think, oh, they would make a cute couple aesthetically. <laughs> like, know if they mm-hmm. fit in personality, in character, in spiritual maturity. I mean, you can have somebody very far along with somebody who's a new believer, and that's not inherently sinful, but it may not be wise. Mm-hmm. And so I think having an ability to assess where are people at, um, will they compliment one another? Will they grade on each other? Um, my pastor growing up used to say, if you have two people who have the same personality and the same type of person, one of them's useless. Mm. Like mm-hmm. you want opposites attract on purpose, mm-hmm. right? So like find people that make sense together. Um, don't just put them together because they happen to be the two single people in the room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, speaking to the singles out there, I think just like you said, receive it as love. If your married friends are putting in the effort to f- set you up with somebody, it is because they love you and they want to see you have as much joy and happiness that they have in their own marriage. And they want that for you. And I believe that for my friends. And then two, what I said earlier, of like you can go into a setup without the pressure on it. Even if your friends set you up and like you might be thinking in your mind, oh my gosh, like if this doesn't work out, people are going to be upset. That's not the case. We want to see a, we like we want to see you happy but we also just like, it's okay if you just get a friend out of this. It's okay if nothing happens out of this. And it's cool if something does happen. Like we're going to celebrate with you if that happens. But just take the pressure off as much as you can. Because I mean, dating apps, you're vetting your own people. But a setup, your friends have vetted them for you. Mm-hmm. Coffee is not a 10-year plan. <laughs> That's right. It's okay to just have fun. Well, such good thoughts. And I would say, I mean, just the things that come to mind for me are, you know, whether this sometimes doesn't happen with 20-somethings, I think. But by the time you get in your 30s, you start getting the questions from your setter-uppers of like, okay, how far on either side of the age continuum yep. would you be willing to go? And just getting some parameters there, I think that's a good yeah. discussion oh, to yeah. have. And the other thing, and just caution to married people, is um, don't look to this person to fix your other friend's brokenness. I mean, I've had people with very good intentions just say, you know, well, he's only like several months out of a divorce and he's really had a hard time and it's really been, you know, and it's like, that's just not the best way to like sell this thing on me, you know? So I think, and sometimes it's just, 
it's set, they're almost trying to level the playing field or make it, you know, seem more attainable or like you're going to do a kindness or whatever, but it's just awkward and it makes for a bad like start to even get to know this person. So uh, just a couple of thoughts I would have on that front, but you guys, thank you so much for weighing in on this. This is awesome. A great start to the conversation. Those of you who are listening, continue to weigh in, just hit us up on our DMs or on social. Brie always puts these up there. So we'd love to continue the conversation. It's true. It's true. Thanks, Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. Well, folks, we are here for this week's culture segment, and you know that I use this segment to introduce you to fun people who have done stuff (laughs) and know stuff and really can pass along that wisdom to us. And so we are now on the front end of 2024. I know I've said this a few times because you know I love the beginning of a new year. Uh, But here we are. We are in February now, and we are, unless you've been sleeping under a rock, we have a lot going on in the news. We have a lot going on in our culture. We have a lot going on in politics. Now, this is not necessarily for those of you who are in other countries. We love you too, and we want to know what's going on in your country. But here in the U.S., there's a lot going on, and I figured we need to start talking about how to get out of the nonsense of conversations, of wrong information, of weirdness, at least mostly weirdness, um, when we're having, really when we're kind of bringing some of this stuff to bear in our families, in our friend groups, as we're navigating this space, the news, and beyond. And so I've invited two of my friends. We have Paul Batura and Gary Schneeberger here. Hey, guys. Hey, Hello. Lisa. Great to have you here. And uh Both of you are writers, you're speakers, you're both published authors on a number of different fronts. Um, Gary, we can't totally get into all the movie (laughs) franchise (laughs) books and other things. But um, actually, Gary is my former boss as well in the the PR world. Um, And so a lot of... What are you writing about, Gary, that we can't talk about? (laughs) I know, yes, that we can't, Next can't talk show. about. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So that's all good. So, um, but both of you have pretty extensive experience in the world of media on a number of different levels, both from the PR angle as well as from writing news, writing opinion. Um, Paul, you are still writing for Fox News, and you actually just started your own podcast. Yeah, yeah, I have a podcast. and Super fun, yeah. called What a Life, Lessons from Legends, and so that's a really uh, fun thing that Thanks you do. Thanks for the plug. Absolutely. That's great. And Gary, you're now the founder and president of a media consulting company called Roar, Indeed. and you've done a lot of advising in uh, PR and media relations, earned media in a number of different spaces, uh, secular and non. And also you have a background as a reporter. Indeed, reporter and editor. (laughs) 
So, <laughs> if you want to Google Gary's name, you can find photos of him from newspapers <laughs> as far back as the '80s, probably for sure. Indeed, you can. In fabulous uh, promotional, yeah, shots of of him just working the pen there in <laughs> the typewriter Indeed. back in the day. Indeed. So, I still love the fact that Gary, you were the first reporter to ever visit the grave of Frank Sinatra. I know. I it was, and it was a total mistake. No way. Yeah, wow. when, when he died, I was in Palm Springs. He was from Palm yeah. Springs. They, he got buried in a private ceremony. And then um, the next morning, I assigned myself, because I was an editor, to do the story on people visiting his grave. I got there an hour early. The the, the maintenance van had left the, <laughs> the gates open, so I was there for an hour by myself, just me and the man for wow. an hour. So that was kind of awesome. That's pretty cool. That's a neat story. So, well, and with all of that and all of your experience, um, in addition to the other books that Gary has written and is writing that we won't totally get into. He has written Bite the Dog about building a PR strategy that kind of to go the distance and all of that. So that's really fun. So today we're just going to talk down and dirty about the news. Okay. Cause I think, I mean, there are people listening here who are like, uh, when was the last time I even followed the news? They don't even they're going to be. They're going to have to be maybe convinced to even care about what's going on in the world, uh, beyond their own sphere and what they actually care about. There are other people who begrudgingly follow the news because they feel like maybe they should be in the know, maybe they have to for their job. And there are other people who are news junkies. So I kind of want to start out. We talked a little bit about each of your backgrounds in news. Maybe elaborate on that a little bit, and then also tell us where you currently get your news. Is it a smattering of different places? Do you follow consistent sources? Do you have things that you trust and don't trust certain mediums? What do you prefer? It'd be fun to just get the down low on that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I tend to get my news from online, mm-hmm. from digital places, not from social media, mm-hmm. because that can be, <laughs> um, it's, it, it's own can of worms. I look mostly for things I know that that are news stories, not opinion pieces. And a lot of what is out there is opinion. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for facts on what's going on. Um, I'm one of those uh, in my book, Bite the Dog. Thank you for that plug. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I talk about, you know, the media, generally speaking, is not our enemy. I I always say somewhere between best friends forever and spawns of Satan is where most most journalists fall. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. I think they're mostly... Uh, fair, the ones who write news. Um, so I tend to, you know, um, vary it from, yes, there's ideological on the left, on the right, I get a, a, a smattering of all that and then sort it out myself. So that's kind of the way that I get my stuff. Um, I do, um, I use, I guess, X now only to see if there's something that's breaking and see what the, the developments are because it's updated like every three seconds. So yeah. you can get that when a breaking news story happens. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'm reminded of, okay, so when you're talking about finding things digitally, are you talking about classic newspapers that are now online? I'm thinking of my neighbor who passed away last year who actually read cover to cover four physical newspapers a day at the yep. age of 97. So, I mean, there are a few of those people. This is, Paul probably does this too. We're going to hear about this yeah. really, but, but um, what are you, just clarify that a little bit. And do you ever watch like TV anymore or who does? I don't I mean, watch a lot of TV <laughs> stuff because it is almost all opinion, yeah, right? Okay. I mean, all the nighttime shows are opinion shows. Yeah. They do have newscasts during the day. I'm busy during the day. Um, so yeah, most of the time it's, it's websites that, uh, are like newspapers okay. used to be, yeah. uh, except you can't fold them. Right. Uh, <laughs> Providing a digital platform right. for yeah. reporting. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Paul, how about no, you? No, I mean, I, I, I think I would have liked your neighbor who would go through those papers. <laughs> oh, no. I enjoy that. I mean, I do enjoy 
flipping through the physical paper because you see things that you wouldn't see otherwise. Mm -hmm. It's the little story, uh, you know, the anecdote. Um, so that's important to me. Uh, I have the advantage in my role at Focus on the Family. I do a morning email that is a curated uh, news um, digest of sorts. We take things from the Wall Street Journal and New York Times and, and Christianity Today and World Magazine. So I have the opportunity to scan all those sites. And so I enjoy that. And that's important, I think, for us to take a broad view of things. I don't... Um, Mind opinion, I, I just to me it's super important to know whose opinion it is. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important from a from a worldview standpoint. Like Al Mohler has a great uh, daily show that he puts out every morning. I mean, he's almost like a machine the way he can mm -hmm. analyze things. I think that's important. So a broad range of, of news, and I agree with Gary. This idea that uh, media is out to get us. The reality is, some media is. Uh, they are out to get us, but most of them are not. They're, these are normal people who get up in the morning. They have a role to play, and they're trying to tell a story. The reality is, and I'll show my age on this one, Paul Harvey is my hero as a kid. He said every reporter has a bias mm -hmm. yep. by what they put in and what they leave out. Mm -hmm. And so you have to go into it with that. If someone tries to tell you that NPR is balanced or the BBC is balanced, that's not accurate. I mean, it's just not true. So well, eyes wide open, and then just to me, consume a lot and know who you're reading to know who the source and therefore what yeah. perspective they're going to be bringing. Yeah, Can I add a good. perspective yeah. on that? Because I write about in my book the idea, and I say the very same thing, we're all biased. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was a reporter. I sat in a courtroom and there was a there was an elderly woman testifying about how she had been um, assaulted by a man. And I looked at that and I'm like, that's my grandma. I could see that my grandma there and I, this guy's guilty. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was the court reporter. I'm not supposed to think that. But, so I had a bias, but I was fair. Mm -hmm. uh, you can have bias, everybody has biases, but fairness is what you're looking for. So mm -hmm. when I went back and wrote that story, I made sure I used the best arguments from the prosecution and the defense. And that's the thing I think that we have to demand when we consume media is that they're fair because we can't expect them. They're not gonna not be biased, they have biases. But do they give both sides the chance to speak to the issue that they're writing about and to have the best, you know, if you're going to quote the best from the guy who, who uh, disagrees with me, then quote the best from me. Don't mm -hmm. say that, you know, don't quote the dumbest thing I say and the best thing he says, because that is not fair. Yeah. That's interesting because as someone also who used to write news and opinion, and I worked in uh, Washington, D.C. for a while in that sphere, I know my, my editor one time I wrote a story and he actually had me change it because he had a grudge against the subject of my oh. Story oh, wow. and was like just straight up like yeah I mean he almost made it like a wanted me to make it a hit piece and I had to really push back a lot on that so it was uh, you know you do see that so to that point any other stories like from behind the scenes or if people you know were to see behind closed doors I mean I think sometimes we have these utopian kind of halcyon visions of remembering our parents grandparents talking about. Walter Cronkite, you know, and this idea of the trusted anchor or the trusted, and no one feels like there's anyone trusted anymore. So how do we, how do we discern really where we start going and what that looks like for us to start? Because no, none of us, except for Paul, can read this much every day, you know, right. and get and be into this stuff. I mean, some people are barely making it to get the bare bones. Yeah. I, you know, I was a young college kid when I worked at my first radio station in New York City. And I, I went into this with the idealistic eyes that they have a newsroom and there's people out there, 
you know, curating news or really reporting new news. Mm -hmm. I was shocked when I sat down in the studio and saw that the hosts were simply like lifting articles from the newspaper. (laughs) And so it struck me that if, if this reporter gets it wrong, then the radio station is going to get it wrong. And then someone who's listening to the radio station writing about something, they're going to get it wrong. So there's that. There's, there's a huge chasm, I think. Uh, and this is increasing today. There is very little original reporting done mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's budget constraints. It's just the reality. You know, If you have a local newspaper and you have reporters who are actually writing stories – count yourself lucky because that's pretty much now it's wire services Mm -hmm. and and large syndicates who are putting the news out. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important to recognize. And if you go into the the TV and radio media, you're not going to get a lot of reporting because it's all opinion. I mean, Mm -hmm. most of it is opinion. So true journalists who are reporters don't get, they get paid to not put their opinion in something. But what we have in, in electronic media increasingly, and it's hard to find just good news outlets out there that are that are convenient for you to see. And and I agree with you Paul. I, I I do like opinion as well, but I'm always aware of the fact that it's opinion. It's not this isn't the facts. And I think that's what ends up happening when people start talking about about um what's going on in the news is that they quote someone whose job it is to have an opinion as if their job is to present facts. Mm -hmm. And that's when things get kind of all roiled up in a bad way. And there's a lot of, I mean, when I was, this is a long time ago, I'm 51 years old. When I was like 16 or 17, do you remember USA Today used to have a question at the back of the paper? They would ask Joe Citizen and they would give their opinion. And so I sent my picture in because I wanted to be asked. (laughs) And one day I got a phone call from an editor who asked me my opinion. That's awesome. I gave my opinion and the guy said, we already have that opinion. I need you to take this opinion. Can you take? And I said, no, that's not my opinion. And he said, well, this is how you get in the paper. If you want to be in the paper, this is the opinion you have to take. And so I said, you know, even I had principle, I guess. I said, no, I can't take that opinion. And I never got called again. But I was thinking that's like such a fabricated example of, you know, kind of news that's not really real. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go after something, you know, just head on basically that is quite divisive and that is politics. So we are now in an election year here in the United States heading towards November, where if we all make it in one piece uh, (laughs) over these next six to eight months, it will be a victory. So how in the world do you, I don't, I don't know of, you guys have to help me figure out how is someone who literally doesn't know the issues, doesn't know the candidates, doesn't know, is there going to be a square picture out there for anyone to see, read, get the facts, you know, without digging into rabbit holes of I don't even know where? Um, what what does it look like to go after something that clearly is a polarizing issue and actually get some semblance of information that could be accurate? A good place to start, and if, since we're talking about elections, let's talk about the presidential election. There are there are places that do truly non-biased, non you know. Here's our perspective. Voters' guides. Mm-hmm. Look for voter guides, mm-hmm. um, which just tell you here's you know they give the candidates a chance to say here's what I stand for. The candidates write what they stand for, or their people do, and you can then see some of that. That at least gives you an idea of where they sort of start and stand. You could go to the websites of the candidates because the candidates again they're going to be unfiltered. Are they telling you the truth? You got to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Here's what I stand for. Here's here's my accomplishments. Here's those things. You can kind of go to those kind of places to get your 
your catching gear on, to use a baseball <laughs> metaphor, right? Put your catcher's gear on so that, that the foul tips don't hurt you so much when you start reading the news. But to find out from the mouths of the people who are running, who you're interested in, to either know, I might want to vote for this person or, oh, good grief, I don't want to vote for that person at all. Go see what they stand for. Find their websites. Look at those things and inoculate yourself a little bit from some of the news that's going to come because it's going to come from both sides, people who don't like them and people who do like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a friend who said um, uh, they read the Bible to find out what God thinks about an issue and then they read the New York Times to figure out what the enemy thinks about the issue, <laughs> which, of course, that demonstrates a bias right there. Yeah. But I, but to Gary's point, you know, that's you go to the original source wherever you can. And for Christians... The original source is scripture. The names have changed in this current election. They, maybe they haven't changed in the current election cycle. But in general, you know, we go through this cycle every four years. Names change. Circumstances change. Human nature does not change. Behavior tends not to change. So scripture provides the best filter to understand how to respond to what's happening culturally whether it's reading through a particular book or whether it's reading through the Psalms or Proverbs or something like that, that is a great exercise, I think, to help you filter what you're hearing in the news. Yeah. I, um, most days, read what I guess would be considered kind of a couple different sources or few different sources from different sides of Mm -hmm. the proverbial aisle, I guess, you know, so for example, I do a CNN roundup and then I pick, there's another more conservative source I have. And it's like to reporting on the same things, you would think they were talking about different issues. Okay. So that's where you see bias and you see where, what, what they're trying to influence, even in, as Paul said, the, the choice of what they choose to talk about and stuff like that. So you know, have, you guys have seen those continuums of, you know, far left to far right, where all these outlets fall mm-hmm. on on that continuum and stuff. Would you recommend that a young adult just picks a smattering of those to get a quote unquote well-rounded picture? Or is there necessary as a believer discernment even in that of what you choose to spend your time on? I, I think a broad, um, a broad array is very helpful. And, you know, there's sites now that do this for you. So, uh, if you don't subscribe to morning headlines, which the Daily Citizen puts out, I would encourage you to sign up for that. Mm-hmm. We kind of do that. But, uh, you know, there's Real Clear Politics, which is this aggregate they mm-hmm. pull from all different uh, perspectives, you know, all different sources. And um, so for sure. But I think, you know, general, uh, you know, New York Times is going to be is going to be liberal. Wall Street Journal editorial page is going to be more conservative. News site's going to be fairly liberal. Now, those are both paid sites. It's hard, you know, to pay for that. Most people don't want to pay for a subscription. You can get it through your lo- your library. That's one little tidbit that people don't realize. You can actually get it online hmm. through your library. Use your library card. Um, Fonzie would be very happy with that. <laughs> yeah, indeed, he would. Get your library card. <laughs> now you have to explain who Fonzie is, Paul. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. People may, uh, may not know who Fonzie is. Yeah, I mean, it's a uh, you know, it, the more stuff you can take in is good, but you have to read it in a certain way. Example, um, there are, and I'm, I'm shocked by it every time I see it now, but there are news stories that come out now that say as a matter of fact, not as something that's attributed. So-and-so, this is true, said so-and-so. Um, if someone's not been convicted of something, I learned as a journalist, you can't say you know, so-and-so arrested for murder. Guess what? You've just libeled that person Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they were arrested on a charge of murder, but they weren't arrested for murder. You can't say that. You can't say that. And you shouldn't say that in the political realm either. Um, because 
it says something is true when in fact it hasn't been proven to be true. Uh, and, and that can lead you down the road where you're going to get the wrong impression about a candidate, either good or bad. One thing I'll say when it comes to consuming news online in particular, I can't, I can't advise, um, encourage your listeners enough to not do this. Okay. Here's what you should never do. If you're getting your news online, don't read the comment section, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because total cesspool. <laughs> absolutely. And don't comment. And, I right. mean, what a waste of time. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's not right. It's all opinion and it's not informed opinion in most cases. It's, mm-hmm. it's mostly vitriolic opinion. And those are the things that then lead to the arguments that we're talking about that you started the show with, right? About the, you, you know, you're not going to have, you know, Christmas dinner with your family because your brother's <laughs> all about this and that. A mm-hmm. lot of that stuff comes from that unfiltered, nobody's watching it. I can't figure out if the comment sections in, in, in journalistic pieces are the best thing to happen to journalism or the worst. But come on, you have to admit, when you write a piece, don't you look at the comments? Well, it's when it's my own piece, I look at the comments yeah. uh, just to, you know, sort of flagellate myself, I guess, when I see what people write <laughs> no, about. it's it. total yeah. entertainment. I mean, yeah. it's very entertaining. It is. Yeah. But if you want to be informed, because I know what I think, so what everybody else thinks is kind of funny to me, it's if you want to be informed, that's not the place to go because you, just avoid it because mm-hmm. it's going to keep you happier, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're not going to be depressed, mad, um, you know, whatever. You're yeah. going to be informed. And that's what you want to be. Well, and I think to that point, Gary, this is what you started out saying is that that's also why we shouldn't just look at social media as our main source of news. Because some people will just click on a story assuming it's legitimate. Some things aren't even legitimate. I mean, you know, we know that people are just putting things out there claiming to be a news source. And then a lot of people rely only on the comments Mm -hmm. on social media too. And they think like, that's going to be their can I Can I say something to that? Not specifically, but, and this may be an unpopular thing to say to your audience. I think we have an obligation to follow what's going on. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a lot of people who say, you know what, it's too depressing. It's too negative. I just, I can't handle it. Mm -hmm. And so I am going to be blissfully ignorant. And I just think that's wrong. I think that's, I think that does not help the conversation. It doesn't help you serve your fellow man. It certainly doesn't inform you as to reality. I mean, that's, you, you need to be in touch with reality. I mean, Jim Daly, our president says that is the number one uh, responsibility of leaders is to understand the times and to understand reality. I think that's very true. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you can do that if you're not at all paying attention. And people proudly proclaim, I don't pay attention to the news. I don't read it. They <laughs> mm-hmm. almost say that as a badge of honor Yeah. when I think you're only showing your ignorance. Yeah. So to that end, in our last minute here or so, a couple minutes, um, give folks a little primer on how they can go about Taking in news, whether it's this year, whether it's just in general, whether it's just, I mean, hello, like mass shootings, you know, gun fatalities, whatever, whatever people are getting worked up about politics, how can they do that without losing their minds? What does it look like to separate that, to have hope in where we are as a culture, especially as as believers, but still be able to enter that space and have reasonable conversations with others? Yeah. I mean, um, one is to the point that Paul made earlier, um, you know, the Bible's the covering for all this stuff, right? Um, you know, it's not, um, I look to the heavens and where does my help come from? That's not the white house, Mm -hmm. right? That's not, that's not the, the case. So keep that in perspective as, you know, Christians who are listening, keep that in perspective that God's still in control. He hasn't, you know, 
sort of clocked out while the election's going on. I'm taking off 2024 because it's an election year. He's still in control. He's still on the throne. So keep that in mind because that'll keep you from getting really kind of scared or freaked out sometimes by what's going on. And then the other thing is just be discerning. I think discernment is such an important thing. Yes, to Paul's point, you have to consume it, but you also have to discern it. You've got to know who you can trust, who you can't trust. And it's not something that you're going to know overnight. You're going to, you know, the more time you spend with it, the more time you're reading, like you're, you know, uh, saying, Lisa, you read it, you know, CNN, and then you read Fox News and you get it all together. Um, the more that you do that, the more you test it, the more you're going to come to a place where you're going to feel like you're informed. And that's a beautiful place to be. When you feel like you know what's going on, despite the cacophony that's happening out there, when you feel like you really understand what's happening, it's possible, folks. And when you feel that way, then you can make not only uh, informed decisions, but they're going to be peaceful decisions as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would add to that, read your history. Uh, You know, that is a huge thing for me in terms of giving me perspective so as to not be overwhelmed with what's happening, to realize that in times like these, to remember there have always been times like these. Mm -hmm. It's just the way of, again, the names change Mm -hmm. and circumstances change, and there's going to be developments that maybe are unique. Yet, at the same time, you know what? Our ancestors made it through we're going to make it through. It's mm-hmm. not the end of the world until it's the end of the world. That'll <laughs> <laughs> well, tweet <laughs> or X, I guess good, we say now. Good point. Yeah. And I think too, even as both of you are saying that, as I think of my own friends who come from a variety of different backgrounds and certainly have different opinions on things, I always come back to who they are as people. And I'm like, you may read this news source or you may have this position on an issue, but I also know that you love your kids, you mm-hmm. love your city, you love your parents. You love, and so it's, again, not demonizing someone because of, like, I always love saying, you know, wow, okay, how did you come to that conclusion? What brought you to that? You know, how th- did that reasoning come about or whatever? And I think it's just helpful to, again, think of people as people and not just positions. Absolutely. So, all right. Thanks, you guys, so much for weighing in on this. This is really helpful. Thanks and for helpful. having us. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, folks, I want to remind you, uh, we referenced the Daily Citizen from Focus on the Family here. You can find that at dailycitizen.focusonthefamily.com or just follow them on Facebook because this is going to be a great roundup of, again, just some of the um, perspective on news items that you probably need to know about and you know that it is trusted coming from the team here at Focus on the Family. Also, I want to make you aware of a book that we have available for a gift of any amount this week. This is from Focus on the Family. It's a practical guide to culture, helping the next generation navigate today's world by John Stone Street. He's been a guest on the show here. Uh, You just go to uh, this week's episode here on the show. You'll see the book cover there. Click on it. Uh, You give a gift to Boundless for the work that we're already doing that you know you're a part of, and we will send a copy of the book as our thank you to you. So you can make that happen and be part of the work that we're doing this year.
All right, here we are for our inbox, and we get to invite our fantastic counselor, Glenn Lutchens, back. Hey, Glenn. Hi, Lisa. I really like your glasses today. Well, thank you. Not that it has anything to do with your response. Or Walmart you, specials. What you're, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I like them. They have a little flash to them. So, All right. Uh, this is a very interesting relationship question you're going to answer. Mm-hmm. Kind of short and sweet, but our listener wants to know, what are some practical and helpful ways for dating couples to do devotions together before getting engaged? Okay. Well, I appreciate the fact that they're interested in spiritual things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not just talking about, you know, eating bonbons and watching movies, um, but they're <laughs> well, looking they at... They do that in the other hours. Yeah, that's day. right. Yeah. That's right. But the desire to grow spiritually. Now, I, I think in one sense, it, it, I would probably put a little bit of a caution mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that spiritual intimacy um, can be almost as powerful as sexual intimacy. And so people, I think, have to be careful that they're not leading the way towards uh, maybe almost an artificial uh, connection. Uh, I, I think of, let's say, you know, a person who's going through a tough time. Maybe they just came out of a breakup. We've all heard of the rebound relationship. Mm-hmm. So it can be somewhat like that in the sense that it has some some power to it. Or a person has been through a difficult time, maybe a death of a parent or something like that. And a person being there can be very meaningful, but is it the person being there that's kind of drawing the connection or is it the person, the relationship itself that's developing? So just a, just a caution not to preliminary, in a preliminary fashion to do it, but if the relationship is is moving in a constructive way, I think it's, uh, it's a valuable thing to have. Um, I think there are a lot of different options. Um, there are a couple of devotionals, um, one by H. Norman Wright, starting out together for uh, dating or engaged couples. Uh, There's also one-year devotions for couples by David and Teresa Ferguson. And uh, so that's really, those two are are geared more towards relationship. But, you know, any of the old classics, My Utmost for His Highest, um, uh, A.W. Tozer's uh, Pursuit of God. I mean, I think there are some classic devotionals that people can go through. Or they they can just identify, maybe go through passages of scripture. One other word of caution, um, I think it's important for people to avoid the tendency of wanting to present themselves well. And okay, here is here. Let me let me show you the great spiritual insights that I'm getting, and I want to share those with you. So one guard against that would be if you're sharing what God is teaching you, what is He teaching you in regards to the areas you need to grow? So you're not just focusing in on, oh, I'm doing this wonderfully, I'm doing that wonderfully, you know, God is in this area of my life. But what's God showing you about how you need to grow and change in order to become a greater reflection of him? Yeah, yeah, so good. Um, interesting that this question came up this week because I know next week we're going to be featuring Scott Kadersha from Harris Creek Baptist Church um, on praying together as a couple, even as you're dating and engaged. And he issued some of the same cautions, I know, when we did that taping. Um, So it'll be a fascinating kind of partnership of those two. So I think that's really a great balance, Glenn, of recognizing that, yes, prioritizing spiritual growth is great, and it's a necessary thing. But also, you know, and, and again, don't neglect your own time in the Word and your own time in community right. and other things right. as well. So I right. think that's great. But as you as you started out, man, just the intent um, is a great heart in what they had. And to I say. think when you when you have that openness uh, of wanting to uh, share, it can be helpful to find out where do we disagree. Mm-hmm. You know, if if both people see everything from a biblical perspective exactly the same way, one of them might not be being totally honest. So you sure. want to be able to look at 
How do we agree? What are the areas we agree upon? And what are the areas where we see differently? Is it enough to be in agreement? I mean, there's some pretty foundational things to biblical truth as far as what it means to be a Christian. And if people don't have enough common ground in those areas, maybe it's important to realize that early on. But you don't have to see everything exactly eye to eye in order to be, to have spiritual unity. Hmm. Good point. Well, folks, um, we are in February, and so you know that this is a month where we talk a lot about relationships, and you see a lot magnified even in our culture. So we want to make you aware of the fact that we are going to have some really great conversations around this topic throughout the month. And so I mentioned next week's show. Obviously, you just finished this week's. Um, Also, check out just a few days ago, we published from George Halitzka an awesome uh, Valentine's Date Guide really, to have fun and uh, financially attainable dates, uh, whether you're early on in a relationship or whether you're kind of moving forward or even engaged. And so hopefully you'll uh, interact with that as well. And let us know. Hit us up in our DMs or send us an email at editor at boundless.org and let us know what you're thinking and kind of how you are going to be spending the month of February. And uh, we'll have fun with that. So in the meantime, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. It can be challenging to inspire your community to see life the way God sees it. So what's the solution? Well, on June 15th, Focus on the Family is hosting Sea Life 24. And no matter where you are or who you are, you can be a part of this free event with speakers like Ben and Kirsten Watson and real stories about choosing life. Sea Life 24 will inspire you to translate your faith into action. Register today at sealife24.org.